Um, we're going to be looking at the idea of uh, enjoying God's presence. Uh, specifically, we will be looking at the idea of abiding in Christ through this. Uh, our text today comes through uh, the text uh, or through the verses of uh, John 15. I'll read uh, verses 1 through, uh, through 8 here now. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so proof to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this idea of abide is big. But uh, I feel like uh, the this text that I just read to you um, is, uh, is good. Uh, but it's not the whole story that's there. I kind of want to go back um, into, uh, into uh, the conversation where it starts. Maybe back in chapter 14 of John. Uh, maybe a little bit before that, at the very end of chapter 13, the, the disciples are sitting down with Jesus, and they're talking, and, they're, and they're, they're kind of in a predicament, because Jesus is saying, like as he always does, some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, what he says is, uh, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I'm going to go. Uh, one of you is actually going to betray me, and uh, then I'll be gone. And the disciples now, some young guys who've been called to, uh, to be his disciples, to learn his ways, to carry the ministry. They've seen this wonderful thing. They believe so much. They enjoy being in his presence. And they see a lot of power and effect there. But now he's saying to them, I'm going to leave. And so they ask these questions. They say, what are we going to do? The basic question they're asking is, what are we going to do when Jesus is gone? I'm just going to recap a little bit, tracing through uh, some of the questions that are asked in this conversation with the disciples. Maybe they're, maybe they're questions that you and I ask each day. Peter, at the end of chapter 13, he asks, he asks Jesus, he says, Lord, where are you going? So if you're going somewhere, where are you going? Thomas follows up and says, Lord, how can we know the way? Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. If you're going to the Father, show us the Father. Judas even asks, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? A lot of questions. You're going away. What, what's happening? What are, we, what are we doing? Where are you going? What are, what are we supposed to be doing now that you're gone? We thought this was it. We thought we had arrived. You said the kingdom was coming. Now why are you leaving? <laughs> Maybe you feel that way too. Um, I know some days I do. Uh, though we're not at this point of, of Jesus saying, I'm going to leave you. We're at a different moment in history. We're at a moment where he has left. We get to see some of those beautiful ends. You know, unfortunately, only three of the four people that asked questions here of, of, uh, of Jesus that day, only three of them actually got to hear the rest of the story. Got to, got to hear what would happen. They got to hear him come, see him come back and, and the message go out. Judas, uh, he, didn't, he didn't stay around long enough for that. He, uh, he just left wondering, what's, what's this all about? 
question that I think that they are asking is a right question. How do we live as Christians when Jesus isn't physically manifested right here in front of us? How do I remember a God who is eternal when he's not imminently here? How do we enjoy God's presence when he's here and there's something about that that means he's here, but he's also there? How do we enjoy a presence when it's so strange? And how do we do that in ways that don't make us look like weirdos, <laughs> that don't make us look like uh, uh, people who, are, who just want some kind of emotional therapy and feel good, we'll reason ourselves to this, uh, or, or people who, uh, who really feel like it, it should be our job to incarnate Jesus and everyone will see us there. Now, there may be a little bit of truth to all of those, but I really want to know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to understand this joy in God's presence when I'm anticipating him returning? So uh, to that question, uh, the big point uh, that Jesus gives them is he tells them a story. He paints a picture. I love how he does that. This is a great way to teach. Uh, rather than saying, well, here are my seven systematic theological points, he says, let me tell you a picture. Do you know what a vine looks like? And he tells a story uh, of all of these different ways that we can abide in him. And so at the end of the day, the big point for us, and I'm not going to try to overcomplicate, is abide in Christ. And that is what the driving theme is of what Jesus says. He says, what, do you, what are you going to do when I'm gone? What are you going to do when you anticipate my return? Abide in me. And that's what he has. Now, that's a word that we don't use too often. So I really want to sit in that a little bit and develop it some. Uh, we are to abide in Christ, which means the word abide is, uh, it means to actively remain in Christ, to actively remain in Christ. I think sometimes we, we, we think maybe it sounds a bit passive. Oh, we'll just abide there. We'll just remain there. I, I, want, it, I want to make sure that we know that it means actively abiding. I would liken it to um, a lineman, a football lineman. It's college football season, right? It's football season in general, but it's college football season, let's be honest. Um, college football lineman has to abide. He has to actively remain. That's his job, right? I mean, unless he's the center and then he has like, you know, one other job. Uh, so he stays there no matter what, uh, how, how, how hulking massive that line, that defensive line or the linebacker, or whoever it is, is coming at him. He's going to, he's going to stand there and actively remain. He's going to stay in one place and remain there. And now that, that's, that's, that's what we should be thinking of. To abide in Christ is not to exist in his presence. It's to actively exist in his presence, to consciously will ourselves to that presence, to be doing things that are there, not passively sitting there as though we have arrived, as though the kingdom has come and we can sit back and let the king do his thing. We participate in this. We actively remain there. But I want to be cautious not to say that it's like alignment because that's not the entirety of this idea of actively remain because it's not that we are perfect, sinless people who then are acted on by sin and we have to remain because I'm perfect, right? And it's just all of my circumstances that make me do bad things. So it's not entirely that... We have to actively remain because our sin is from within, right? So from the outside, from the inside, we are prone to wander. And we have to actively remain in Christ because we're prideful, we're sinful, we're arrogant. We want to go a different direction. So whether that's, that's circumstances of our, of our job, of our marriage, of our stresses of the day, of, uh, of whatever it might be, or whether that's within ourselves, that we have judgment towards other people. We really like to slander or gossip. It's fun to do those things. It's nice to feel acknowledged 
as the answer. We have to actively remain in Christ. So here comes the picture. I could put the picture up there. I'm, these are your sermon notes. So if you want to draw that, you can. It's really not a whole lot of sermon notes today. Um, <laughs> so he draws a picture because this is what Jesus is doing. I want you to see this. Um, so, okay, I, I think if you, if you look on the left side of the, the screen there, the picture, the image, I mean, this is obviously a grapevine. Uh, so there's, that is the vine there. That's where it's, it's into the ground. And, and, you know, and the, and the whole thing is held up by that and that one wire there. Nice job. Um, that loses the metaphor. Whoops. Uh, so there's this, there's this, there's this, uh, this vine and this wire. Uh, and then there's this branch going out along where you can see that wire is. So that's the branch. That's what he's talking about there. And there's the fruit that comes there. Now we don't have a picture of the wine dresser or the vine dresser. You can imagine who that is. And that's about what we have there. The other thing we don't have are the uh, the, the the fruitless vine, uh, branches that have been taken away. So those are not in the picture. But I want you to look at this because sometimes we, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. Jesus knows this, <laughs> and so he wants to teach us this truth by saying, "Look at something. Look at something in nature. This is just just think about this." So I want to do that. So this is going to be a very lopsided sermon. We are going to sit in this image for most of the time and then very quickly wrap up the last few verses because I really want us to understand and slow down. I don't know how many times you've probably heard this idea of Jesus is the vine and we need to bear fruit because we're branches. I just want to think a little bit more about this. Not that it's novel, but I think if you're like me, we go too quickly on this and assume that I am the hero of the story and of course I'm bearing fruit. Let's move on. And I'm not quite sure that's what Jesus is intending in this. So, Jesus sets this picture out there. That I am the vine, you are the branches. And there's a vine dresser who will address the fruitless or fruitful vines accordingly. Or branches accordingly. He then moves on to interpret this. And the point is, abide in me. So, by way of simple imagery... He invites them to, uh, he invites the disciples to contemplate uh, where they are in this picture, uh, what they are doing, what their role is, and how they are living in light of this. So, there are two things that happen here. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. We're going to go to the dark side first. Um, there are branches that are pruned, or not pruned, that are cut out, that are taken away. These are fruitless branches. Uh, these branches are not attached to Christ the vine. I know I'm, I'm saying things that are very simple and it sounds redundant, but, but, but we must slow down. Uh, he says, you can't bear fruit without being connected to me. That's the big point. You can't bear fruit without being connected to me. He says this a couple times in here. If you're like me, you've never really imagined yourself as that because it's obvious that that is not a good ideal. What does that mean, though? If we paint a picture of what that actually looks like, it may, remind, it may give us caution to go ahead wanting Christ more. I could tell you, connect to Jesus, you need to pray the sinner's prayer, all I want. But that doesn't make that, 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 that real connection that's there. I would invite you to, not, 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 not to a, a detrimental degree, but I would invite you right now to, to maybe consider yourself as that unfruitful branch. Even if 
to some degree. Uh, So there could be a degree at which you have been a mature Christian producing fruit your whole life, but there are certain things in your life that that, that don't produce fruit, certain ways that don't produce fruit. We'll get to this. This is the purpose of, of pruning. But to be next to the other branches in the vine does not actually mean you are going to be producing fruit. I think that's the big part that we, we miss sometimes. If we focus too much on the vine here and say, I need to be connected to this vine, we forget that sometimes in our, in our real life, when we play this out, we say, hey, I'm hanging around a bunch of fruitful branches, and therefore I must be fruitful as well. And so what does that mean? We are all sitting here, a bunch of branches in a room. We are gathered together. If you're like me, oftentimes when I go to church, when I sing the songs, when I preach a sermon and, you know, when people say, good job, pastor, and then I drink coffee that now I feel really good about drinking, um, uh, I go home and I think, I must be bearing fruit. That is, that, is a, that is a logical disconnect, especially with this image here. Because what happens to those, those branches that are, that are connected to this, to, this, uh, to this whole system, this whole plant, but they're not really drawing life from the vine? What happens there? What happens is that people like you and I, who are sitting in this room like you and I, and maybe it is you or I, sit here and think, I did this, and so I'm going to go from here and fruit. If you're not drinking from the well of life that is Jesus Christ, if you're not getting resourced and fed by him, you are not the savior. You are, you, are, you are not the answer to the problems. You can't produce fruit on your own that is lasting without Christ. If you don't come to him and confess your sin and say, I want you to be the source of my life. If that's not what you're doing, you are a branch hanging around other branches hoping to produce fruit. And that's not how plants work. When we slow down, we see, wait a second, you must be connected to this branch. If we think of a a grapevine as the church, it gives us a great picture of those who are alive and those who are not alive and how we need to attend to that. So if that's one thing, I'm laying pretty heavy here because the the language is about life and death and burning. I mean, it goes to the level of of talking about burning. That's about the highest, you know, importance you get when Jesus speaks. He says, hey, if you don't do this, there's fire, there's death, there's withering away. But what if you do this? What if you are a branch uh, connected to the vine? If you are a branch connected to the vine, it means that you, I mean, one way we're saying this at Parkview is that you enjoy God's presence. That you are tapped into the uh, uh, life-giving person of Jesus Christ. If you look at that vine uh, on on that picture there, like think about how, how uh, how the fruits produce. Think about how the, the nutrients flow. If you abide in me and I in you, I think it's, it's so cool to see, you know, any kind of plant works this way. Uh, the vine, the nutrients come up. I mean, I'm not a scientist here, so uh, forgive me. The, the basic, what I know is that the nutrients go up from the, on the inside of the thing. You don't see the nutrients climbing outside of it, right? And, and then they go into the branches. So those are, they're delegated out into the branches and then fruit produce it seems miraculous if you watch it in like super fast motion it's like amazing this process is happening but we don't see this vine grow unless you know over time we do 
But on a given day, you don't see that. The nutrients are being carried underneath. I'm going somewhere with this. If we pride ourselves as a people, as a church, if we pride ourselves as a branch, as an individual, a people that have all of these fruits, Paul, Paul Tripp refers to this as apple nailing. You know, you, you're, just, you're just putting fruit up really fast so people say, ha-ha, this is what it is. There is a long, steady, slow process of a plant growing. There's a long, steady, slow process of abiding in God's presence daily going to the waters. This is Psalm 1. I'm not making this up. Psalm 1 then says, going to the waters daily to draw from that stream of life so that we don't dry up. There's this abiding in God's presence that is good and the right way to do this. Going to church on Sunday morning can do some of that. But if we're not thinking about this, I'm not even like heavy-handedly saying like, you got to do an hour of Bible study every day. Uh, great, that's, that's wonderful. If that's your delight, if that's how it, how it happens, go that way and go joyfully. But if we're just checking in on Sunday morning and hoping that will produce fruit, you've connected with other branches. You haven't tapped into Christ quite yet. If you tap into Christ, you'll have a growing sense of longing, a growing enjoyment in his presence as you go on. I'm still up kind of here in the clouds. We're going to drop this to what this means today. But I wanted to slow down on this. There's one more thing that happens is is this idea of pruning. You may be producing fruit. You may may be new in the faith or you may have thought you were in the faith, but now you're finally connected to Christ and now you're seeing these these buds of, of, of fruit. Is that right? Buds of fruit, man. I'm just botching this lesson here. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. No, correct me because I am wrong. I'm going with it though. Confidently. These buds of fruit. Oh man. Uh, you might have this one, two little ones and, and you're saying, oh, there's something here. Now, how do you recognize those? What does that mean in real life? Uh, when people affirm me of this, Hey, I see growth in you. Nice job. This, this looks like something. What, what's going on? Tell me more about this. This is a way that, 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 that we help each other discern what God's doing in each other's lives. It's, it's a sad day in the life of the church when, when, when someone grows in their faith and no one else recognizes it, or they recognize it, but they don't say it because it's awkward. We don't go there, right? We should. This is the place where we should be leaning into each other's spiritual growth and spiritual lives. We should, in our presence with each other, just acknowledge that that. When you walk in the door, I wish I could say it. It's just like, all bets off. You can go anywhere. Like, just put that right on the front door so we could just go where we need to go and affirm each other and correct each other as needed. So if you have tons of fruit like this, and I've seen people here that have this kind of a life in Christ, if you're just starting this and you have just a few, there's this idea of pruning. I love that part is that, you know, instead of saying like, nice job, you've arrived fruit. It says we're not there yet. We're we're somewhere else. We're somewhere else. And that that, that, that somewhere else that we are is abiding. And you're going to abide in the pruning time and maybe uh, maybe the pruning season and sometimes the pruning season isn't so fun <laughs> sometimes the pruning time isn't so fun most times it seems like imminent death when the pruning season comes because someone's coming in at you with the with the clippers i don't know how they did it back in jesus day but it's probably clip, clippers uh but they're coming at you and they're going to trim you up it's going to be good stuff but while you're looking at it it's still you you're still getting cut out and it's hard I honestly think this is the value of Christian community, to help each other discern and assess how is God shaping me. I've got a, uh, uh, I've got a, a lime tree 
uh, at my house that, my, that, that, I, that I bought for my wife, but it's more like my baby. It's one of those weird gifts. Uh, so it's a greedy gift. I love it uh, so much. Uh, and it loves Iowa since we moved here. It just like booms and blossoms. The trick is, though, 12 months out of the year is not conducive for uh, a lime tree in Iowa. So, uh, so we have to, we put it in this, you know, big thing. And like, you know, about two, two weeks, I do the angry, you know, pull a tree into my house uh, for, the, for the winter. Uh, so fun. I'm just wondering why I chose a lime tree. Um, but what we do is I have to prune this thing um, because it's got to fit in the house, right? Um, and so for me, I'm forming it as I, as, I, as, I, as I trim it. The first time I went to go prune it, I'm like, oh, you sweet little baby. I you know, love you so much, and, uh, and I, want, I want all of your fruit here. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to cut this thing. I don't know where to cut this thing, what's good or bad. And so I did, you know, research. We did a ton of research on what it is. Actually went out to, um, and we lived in Chicago for a while, so went to the uh, Chicago, uh, what is it called, the uh, Botanic Garden. Um, asked one of the gardeners there, like, what do you do with a lime tree? How do I do this? What's, am I killing it? And they gave me some insights on how, how to do this. So that was really helpful. It took off the edge on me, the pruner. But inevitably, what I'm doing is I'm letting it kind of grow out, and then for its good and our good, selfishly, I prune it and I shape it so that it produces the fruit. If, there, if there's something not producing or it's going a different way, I want the nutrients to get to the fruit, right? I, I want it to go there, the goodness to go there. And so that's the thought. I have to think, how is food going to get the fruit? And, and then trim it accordingly. Now, the weird thing that I do, because I'm, well, weird, you've already seen this in the last 15 minutes. Weird on this is, is that I'm trimming it and I'm shaping it and forming it into a certain mold, a certain pattern, a certain image, if you will. And it's the image of my doorframe because I got to get it inside. <laughs> and so, yeah, this, this bountiful square. Uh, it's, 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 it's weird. It's super weird. Um, so uh, if you want to see, in two weeks, we'll do the pruning to fit in the house and, and then I'll cry. Um, this is happening here in this image. This is happening when Christ prunes us, but he doesn't prune us to the doorway. That's weird. He prunes us into a different image. He's pruning us into the image of God. And that's kind of where I want to go. This is the idea of what that pruning is. Pruning is, this is my definition, it could be wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, is the shaping of our hearts to the holy image of God. That's a helpful thing, because if you're in a season where things are rough, this language of pruning that, that, that John 15 gives us is wonderful. I've seen some nods, actually, out here, because I think some of you may be in this season. I know some of you are in this season of pruning. Some of you may have experienced a very intense, not day, but whole season, maybe even years of pruning. And it hurts. But the pruning is, is, is different than two things. The pruning happens when it shapes our hearts. That's, that's the key. When it shapes our hearts to that of God. There are other things that happen in our lives that are called consequences of sin. That's not pruning so much. So, so, so when you, when you, when you go, uh, uh, lies are a big one. We teach our kids lies have, they build, they, they ripple, sin ripples and, and it goes to all these other things and then eventually hits the pool walls and your sin comes back to you. That's something you may be experiencing a loss of trust, a strained relationship. Um, uh, uh, uh you may be in a, a financial, uh, uh, debacle. You may, um, you may be uh, just at a point of purposelessness and wondering what, what just happened with all of that. I've made a ton of bad decisions. I'm not able to name this trajectory. You might be in that. And I don't want to say that all consequences of sin are pruning. Sometimes 
bad things just happen to us because we do bad things. And I think that sometimes you need to reconcile that. You know, like, uh, your strained relation might not be God pruning you. It may just be because that's what happens when you're a jerk. <laughs> uh, the, uh, and so, so this idea, though, is when, the, when God takes those things, and these bad situations could be that, the consequence of sin could be used to prune if it's used to shape our hearts. If it's used to, to turn us to God so that we desire the true life, we desire abiding in his presence, abiding in Christ. We want to actively remain in him. If those things drive us back to the right way. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn from their ways. God doesn't delight in cutting out the dead branches, but that they would be connected to Christ. So, this is the picture that Jesus gives his disciples, not at all directly addressing their question. What do we do when you're gone? He says the kingdom of God will be here. The kingdom of God is already in your midst, and the kingdom of God will reign and be in your midst when your hearts are aligned to the king. Abide in Christ. That's what you do while you wait for the king to finally come back and make all things new. You delight in the king. You abide in Christ. Okay. We've sat there for a while. I've got one more point, And then we'll land it on the ground. In a, in, in a, in a study Bible that I've used... Uh, there is a, there is a, a beautiful uh, quote, a, a footnote, actually, that I think turns the corner here where, where we're at right now. We're kind of up in the clouds talking about, talking about this, this picture and what it means. And now this, this, these notes that I read, it's just a fantastic way to say, what does this actually mean for us today? I'd encourage you to get a study Bible um, if, if that's something that, uh, that, that you've always you know, read the Bible and you've said, what does this actually mean? Study Bibles are wonderful. Uh, the ESV has a fantastic study Bible online. I think every uh, NIV has fantastic study Bible. The one I'm going to read from is the, I think it's New English Translation, NET. Uh, that one's also really good. Um, those are really helpful for if, if, for, for if you've ever read and thought, that's super weird. What do they mean? Study Bibles for you. Um, so here's what this Bible says. Uh, this, this, this footnote says to say, what, what do we do with our abiding and what does it look like today? It says, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it remains connected to the vine, from which its life and sustenance flows. As far as the disciples were concerned, they would produce no fruit from themselves if they did not remain in the relationship to Jesus. I'll read that one more time. They would not produce fruit from themselves if they did not remain in their relationship to Jesus because... And you can read this on the screen. It's so important. I wanted to put it up there. The eternal life which a disciple must possess in order to bear fruit originates with Jesus. He is the source of all life and productivity for the disciple. I want to read that again slowly. The eternal life which a disciple must possess in order to bear fruit originates with Jesus. He is the source of all life and productivity for the disciple. That's beautiful. That's beautifully stated there. To be honest, when I read this, 
a couple of thoughts that I've just been carrying with me just kind of came to the surface. This is why ministries and, and, and marriages die. <laughs> this is, this is a, just a quick note on it. I, I really believe I'm passionate on the topic. I think this is partially what happens in churches like Willow Creek. You see them going through a really difficult season of ministry. Uh, you see the lead pastor uh, step down on allegations for decades of, of abuse. You see the entire leadership team say, we knew something about this. The whole leadership team steps down. These are giant red flags. Now, I'm not here to judge them. I'm not here to say what it is. They've done incredible work over, over the past decades. Um, and, uh, but there is something that's always been there <laughs> within, within Willow Creek is this slight leaning uh, towards creating that Christian life from Willow Creek. There's been a slight disconnect oftentimes, not always, but occasionally, that, that, that the best life of a Christian can be crafted by our programs, that can be crafted by our study guides, that can be crafted by these things at a departure from Christ. Willow Creek is only an example because it's really in the news right now for the last couple of weeks. It is not the only church to do this. It is not the worst church to do this. I'm not judging them. I'm giving an example. You see churches that turn from Christ being very clearly the vine of the ministry. And you start to see problems like this. I say it that way and set it up that way because, brothers and sisters, as sinners prone to wander, Parkview is one day away from that as well if we don't keep Christ as the vine. We can roll out study guides. This study guide is fantastic. The study guide is not your salvation. But if we think it is, if we think how awesome our graphic design is, and Ben Clark does a nice job of that, if we think that that's our salvation, it's not if. We think that, that, that pastors that, that, that preach way better than I do are our salvation, then, then that's not it. Then we're moving away from the vine. So even within Christianity, we have this idea that, oh, if I'm in the church, we're immune to it. No, we're actually way more prone to it because we're stepping into the no man's land of the battlefield of good and evil, Right? We have not arrived yet, people, just like the disciples had not arrived at the kingdom yet. So Jesus' answer is the same. What are you going to do while you wait for me? Abide in him. Actively remain in Christ. The external forces and the internal desire to sin. Actively remain in him. Okay, here we go. I said we'd land it here. There are two things that Jesus speaks about after this in these verses. He says in verse 9 through 11, that there is a promise of abiding. Why should we do this? Why is this abiding a good thing? He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He says, as the Father has loved me, so, so I loved you. Abide in my, actively remain in my love. And this is so beautiful. Because if we, how do we disconnect from the vine? I think that's a great question I would ask after looking at that picture for long enough. 
How do I actually go from one place to the other? When I was growing fruit and then there was death, maybe you have experienced this or are experiencing this, how do I reconnect? Can I do that? Is it just over? Do I come back? Do I, do, how do I tap into Christ by abiding in his love? By abiding in the fact that I am a sinner and I am loved by him. The wages of sin is death, and that's not on me quite yet. There's a promise there for me. The time is now to repent and turn from our sins. We can abide in him. We can see that he is his love. When I'm speaking to someone who struggles with something that is different than me, and that makes them look like they are they're hopeless, that they are, they're helpless, that they are unteachable. And I say, your sin is so ridiculous. Why do you struggle with that? It's good for me to remain in, in his love by knowing that I am a sinner and I need just as much grace as that person does. And one of my things that I hate the most in all of the world is, well, sin, but from that, a close cousin, racism. I just, I can't stand it. I, it's hard for me to actually talk and reason with a racist, <laughs> like a real racist. I can't do that. It is one of the biggest things. I give this as an example. It's, it's one of the biggest things for me to figure out how to do this. Your sin is the same as what I have. Your sin, it needs the same savior. That is how disgusting my sin looks to God. Cause it doesn't seem that disgusting to me. Cause right. I don't do disgusting things. We have to actively remain in Christ's love as we interact with others. Because otherwise, we'll never be able to connect them to the vine. We'll just be the ones saying, no, no, we're just going to push you out of the vine, right? We need to abide in his love, actively remain in his love because we're prone to not. And verse 11 is the promise of this abiding. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our brother Brett, he already spoke these words to us this morning. He says that there's great joy in this, that there's great joy in abiding this way. When I can tell uh, my brother or sister in Christ, I don't like you and I want you to go away. You need to fix what you are to be part of our group. That may solve a problem for a time. And there could be some happiness that we look like we're aligned. And we feel all Midwesterner and we pack it in and, you know, and do our thing we do. But when I can, when I can encourage through rebuke or affirmation my brother and sister in Christ and say, connect to the vine, not to my rules, not to my expectations or preferences. Connect to the vine that can give lasting joy. That is something different than the immediate patch. That is a cure like no other can give. That my joy may be in you because people have come to saving faith in Christ. And that your joy in doing that, in being an agent of that work may be full. So there's a promise of joy in our abiding there's also a purpose of our abiding. He says, this is how this plays out. I want to talk for nine years about verses 12 through 17. I will give you five minutes. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't, uh, does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now listen up here. He says, you, I, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit should actively remain. What you do as, a, as, as, as an outcome of, of what I am doing in you will remain. Your flashy program is not going to remain. Your, your, your flashy sermon is not going to remain. No matter how good it was, it won't remain. But what will remain is the content of Christ within that. That your fruit may abide. It says, these things I command so that you will love one another. These things I command so that, the purpose of the whole thing, so that you will love one another. The Father loves me and I love you just as the nutrients of the love go through this entire system and the trellis and they go out and produce the fruit of love. This love is produced in a way that the whole community can take part in. We saw the grapes. You can walk by the grapes. You can pull the grapes off. You can eat the grapes. The love is there. The fruits of the Spirit are there. We can't package them and measure them, but we can experience them and feel them and share them so that the whole community is better when these fruits are produced. So what do we do while Christ is gone, so to speak. What do we do while we anticipate his coming? We abide in him. We actively remain in Christ. So, uh, very practical questions to ask you. How are you or how aren't you abiding in Christ? Um, Where is your hope? Where is your source? I would encourage you. I've just done a, a huge flyover of this passage. I would encourage you this week, uh, or today, or, or, or whatever it would be, to, to either look at a picture of the vine and think, where am I? Seriously think, where am I? There is fire on the end of being wrong on this one. Or look into the Bible. So if you're artistic, go to the picture. If you're literal, you know, or whatever, analytical, go to the Bible and read these verses. Think about this. Jesus sat with his disciples, and he said, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do when I'm gone. It'd be wise of us to sit down and think about what we're going to do while we anticipate his coming. So brothers and sisters, we can enjoy God's presence when we actively remain in Christ. I pray that that, that Parkview would always be a church that is actively remaining in Christ. That everything we do is is done that way. And I will ask you just as one of the leaders, please tell us when we're not. (laughs) We need that. We need you to help us prune. Because if we grow some strange way, there's fire on the other side of this. We need to be serious about it. We're going to welcome our kids back into the service, but I want to pray for a moment as we incorporate them back in and teach them the life-giving ways of being in the vine and connected to Christ always.